I wanted to discuss, sort of zoom out a little bit and talk about the evolution of the company and how our role is evolving into what we call a innovation hub. Uh, you can tell that we are a changing organization um, because of course, we're trying to make change happen in the water industry, which is not easy. But our previous historical model was to constantly build value. The problem with it is it was a bulky model and inevitably one or the other division was gonna be a redheaded stepchild and not get the attention deserved. It was also constant burn. About a month ago, we moved to a different point of view where we successfully launched Water On Demand with its Water For Us program. And we said, well, wait a minute, let's make that what we do. And in this model, Origin Clear again is the mothership that enables each one of these to be very tactical, very focused, and then Origin Clear gets management fees, which enables it to be, uh, as a mothership, to be profitable and itself go on to the NASDAQ. So, what I like about it is, is, is it creates this cool launch pad role for Origin Clear, which is very unique in the water industry. We have them in Silicon Valley. We don't really have them in water, right? So Origin Clear has that role and eventually gets monetized as such and has a big chunk of each one of these companies for its pains. But then each one of these companies uh, becomes, and we end up with, you know, half a dozen public companies of which Origin Clear has a big piece. So the Origin Clear investors and sweat equity players like you are rewarded there. And uh, welcome to the CEO briefing. This is one of the new clips that we're producing. The team, uh, Josh Summers and uh, his Monica team with the leadership of Kevin Pruitt and content is producing these fantastic uh, clips as a better way to um, uh, syndicate, distribute the, the, con the content of these briefings, which is quite massive. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and um, open up the briefing itself. Here we go. All right. So we are September 1st. Woo. <laughs> Who knew? Right. Um, and it's 176 weekly briefing. And we're talking about a new beneficial income asset water. And we're going to be talking a lot about assets in this briefing. As usual, we have the safe harbor statement, which you know well. And now we're going to do a quick excerpt from a podcast that we did earlier this week, which I think you'll find really fascinating. So, Rick, I mean, I consider you as one of the people that really has a footprint in the water industry. So I wow. would like to understand what is your love? How do you get to that level with water? And you could have moved to several industries, but you are dedicated for water. Hakeem, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. And uh, I hope I measure up to the, the expertise of your audience because, um, you know, I'm only a CEO and my chief engineer knows so much more than me, but I will do my best. Okay. We know that water in the world is not in a great place. 80% of the sewage is not treated at all. 70% of the industrial toxic waste is never treated at all. Now, you and I know that where you are in Belgium, where I am in Florida, it's not that way. We treat most of our water, but the rest of the world <laughs> is really bad. You know, Africa, the subcontinent of India, et cetera, they, they, there's some very poor practices and they don't have the capital to um, fix it. And the truth is that even in America, we have a big capital problem where infrastructure is falling behind all the time. That's the question that I still couldn't answer. Maybe you can, I mean, I, I do have some rough idea, which is what is the limits? I mean, I would say the economical limits or unsustainable limits where it makes sense to use decentralized 
and where it makes sense to use centralized units. So when, just for the audience to understand, just an idea where? Okay, it's a very good question. The first thing to know is that, of course, the United States built its infrastructure without thinking about recycling. And so it's a one-way system. When the, when the water, dirty water travels, for example, in Los Angeles from Glendale to, to um, the El Segundo treatment system, which is beautiful, it only goes one direction into the ocean. It does not go back to Glendale. It's not set up that way. And they've tried very hard, but it's, it, it, you got to build a whole new grid to bring it back. And that's hard. Much simpler is to treat it where you are, and now you can reuse it where you are. So recycling becomes much more viable decentralized. But you don't need to do everything at the edge. One big thing that I believe um, decentralized water will not do is create potable. I don't think it's necessary. For example, let's take a brewery. They're generating, they're using about seven or eight liters of water per liter of beer. Should they reuse that to make beer? Well, first of all, people don't like it so much. Uh, so, but about 50% of that water can be used for washdowns, for steam vessels, for, you know, accessory use in the brewery. Uh, and now you have recycling. So there's an opportunity to get more turns out of the water. And that's really important in, in places that are, that are water scarce, right? Is to get more use out of the water before you throw it away. So uh, two things then is recycling is important, but number two, it's probably fine to just send the water to the central um, uh, treatment plant for the final polish. Uh, the people at the edge should take advantage of that. Well, the city is willing to accept treated water to this standard. We will create that standard and send it to them and everybody's happy, right? So you're right that there's a limit to what the edge should do, but it's already a huge load taken off the center. It's why is so slow the water compared to the tech industry where their portfolio change every three years or every four years? Right. These are very important questions. Uh, the first one, of course, is that let's not forget that water industry is responsible for public health. So there's a natural conservatism. And for example, on the drill pad, there's definitely conservatism because they don't want to stop operations. So there's a tendency to go, okay, wait, wait, this is new or it's not, it's not proven. Uh, let's, you know, let's make sure it's okay. So, and that's perfectly natural and normal. But the other big thing is, let's take an analogy, for example, with the hotel industry or the taxi industry, which were invaded by Airbnb and Uber. And they were very slow moving industries. Um, kind of, you know, a hotel 50 years ago, same hotel, Nothing much changed, uh, but Airbnb blew up the model. And um, I think that the water industry, its model needs to be blown up. Um, and that really is all about CapEx. We acquired a company in 2015 as part of our move to, um, to build a water company. And what we learned was that water, you know, we just experienced these incredibly long water transactions, you know, it takes months and months to get a water deal done. And that, that uses up um, staff time. You know, when I first entered the water industry, I was told, well, it's a very low margin business. I'm like, why is it a low margin business? Because time, the cost of these endless, you know, um, negotiations, permitting, all, all these things that go on, 
it, it can take years, literally, right? Um, and so how do you get around it? And really, we had to confront that problem in early 2020 because COVID was a great time for us all to look at, like, what are we doing here? Is, are we doing the right thing? And we had a huge backlog of quoted projects that were not moving through fast enough. How do we speak? And we finally realized, hey, wait a minute, what about if we create water as a service? And therefore, all somebody has to do is sign a piece of paper and their water is treated. We basically become the stand-in for the city for that client, right? And we they're on the meter, then they know about they know how to pay by the meter. They've always paid by the meter. We're just gonna keep paying by the meter. And that eventually became water on demand, which is um, in the water industry, as you know, it's called DBOO, Design, Build, Own, Operate. We had been at DB, Design and Build Only, which has these problems of low margin, slow transactions, and you're constantly big uh, cash flow problems because it's high CapEx. All those problems um, are real in Design and Build. And in fact, we've done a good job of it when Recently, we reported that we almost tripled our revenue uh, Q2 2022 over Q2 2021. So we're doing really well, but it's not the final solution. The final solution, in my opinion, is to do what high tech did. Well, the brilliant thing about high tech is they made everything a service. Uh, look at Microsoft Office. You know, it used to be $120. You bought it, you're fine. Today, you pay, I don't know, $19, whatever it is a month. You're paying more than $120 over time but you are more have you're, you're, you're better served there's, there's OneDrive, there's the cloud there's this, there's all these these um, these great tools that are built in teams and you just use them right and you pay and so um it's actually more satisfactory for the end user um and it's more profitable for the provider microsoft's making much more money from office as a service versus office as a product and so I think that's inevitable. It also enables the water industry to say, don't worry about your installation. We're going to maintain it. Just do your business. Because as water treatment moves to the edge, we move away from water experts. The, the man or woman running a brewery, they want to make beer. They don't want to treat water. And they don't have water experts on board. And so they just, they're very happy to go, fine, there's a box, I'm on a service contract. Uh, that way I don't have problems with the city because the city doesn't want to take all my water. All that noise has gone away and it's maintained. So I can just get on with my business because business people think of water as a distraction, not as a goal, right? They're not in the water industry. And that's very important to remember. So we're, we're, we're enjoying a tremendous amount of, of excitement from, uh, I'll give you just one example, a um, community that is building, it's a nonprofit building a community of tiny homes. And we, and we were working with them on their water system that they knew they had to build, big water system. And we said, well, why not just um, put it in your, your fees? Just do it as an OPEX. And they went, okay, <laughs> easy, easy solution for them because they don't have to raise $750,000 for that 75K 
75,000 gallon per day system that they're looking at. So, um, so it seems like something to do. Now, what we learned is that people who are already committed to the capital route, they're done. They're, they're going to do the capital route. But if you catch people early enough when they're still trying to figure out the problem, they were, they'll be willing to look at the OPEX solution. And I think the beauty of this, it's when I was, I'm just thinking going back when I was working with end users, the know-how. You never get somehow in the end user who has very good know-how as an OEM. So you always rely on the OEM. And the, the OEM also lose the track. Whenever we approach the OEM, the OEM also, they don't have very good understanding on the technology which is inside their system that they have built. So there's so much knowledge is lost between end user OEMs and the component suppliers. I think there is a kind of here value, like the way how you describe it is kind of Airbnb. You really optimize, you give what you need, you pay for what for your wastewater and you benefit from, I assume really um, 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 high expertise for every because wastewater is completely different field and the wastewater for beer I, is different than wastewater from milk factory and etc well these are uh very good points the first one is that um you talk about technology and when we started looking at how to do water as a service so okay we're creating this thing we, we call water on demand and um we made a decision number one to not try to build all the systems ourselves because we can raise money much faster than we can build systems. So we chose to sacrifice the revenue from build, building and maintaining systems and give them to local water companies. And we have a partnership now with Envirogen, first partnership, the European company with an American footprint, and they do operations and maintenance and they'll support the system. They're very good people. And we plan to grow that network. Now, um, and by the way, just on this, as a side note, that's kind of our supercharger network. That's kind of our little barrier entry because now we have relationships with people that rely on us for deal flow, business from us. You know, we say, here, here's the money, go build a system, here's your client, ba boom. They also bring us clients. So it's a very healthy uh, channel relationship. That's number one. Number two is we decided to standardize technology. Um, we have a division called Modular Water Systems and a very smart uh, chief engineer, Dan Early, who is an early champion of decentralization. Long before, 15 years ago, he was doing decentralized systems. And he has patents that we've licensed for water systems in a box, right? But secondly, is he's done a lot of work to standardize what goes into those. And so we have a product line. If you go to modularwater.com, you'll see it has the products that we build are pretty standard. And, um, and he has actually invested in uh, configuration software that is part of our intellectual property that um, specs these very rapidly. So now you have uh, potentially a much more uniform network of systems and that creates uniformity. We get away from that problem you're talking about, which is a kind of a patchwork of solutions and you standardize them as much as possible. Okay, so did the end user pick up something which oh, it's working right now? And we're okay. It's proven to work. It's exactly. proven to work. Yeah. So when you say the patent in a box, which means it's not like 
an IP on a paper, but really the solution, the complete solution. Right. So we, we, uh, Dan uh, has five international patents that are centered around this idea of it's not a technology revolution, but it's a, a new way of packaging water systems, which is uh, this modular um, envelope. And I, I, it's much more um, acceptable to the water industry to accept a new way of packaging a water system, the whole new way of treating water. The water industry, look, there's plenty of technology already in the water industry. It is, it is a technology rich industry. We, we know what to do about many things. We know what to do and we know how to get the solutions. And so our idea is let those solutions simply be productized so that, because we have two divisions, one is progressive water, which is custom and do anything you say. What do you want? We'll do it. And they're super versatile. They're amazing people. They've been around for 25 years. We bought them in 2015. And then we created in 2018 modular water, which is products. And it is not custom. Uh, I think in one of your podcasts, you mentioned about um, uh, there is still a gap in investing in water. So I would like to learn more from you. Uh, so what are the gaps that you see in the water space and how it could be solved in terms of financing or investing in water? Well, in the oil industry, we have something called the Master Limited Partnership, which is a way for regular investors to invest in a uh, basket of energy properties, pipelines, uh, petroleum, and natural gas. And these are, um, you know, they have good uh, long-term royalties. It's a great way to build general wealth. And it complements big oil. So uh, MLP, Master Limited Partnership, will never replace Exxon, but it is complementary. This doesn't exist in water at all. There has not been direct investment in water systems. If you want to invest in water, you can buy shares in Veolia or American Water Works, Evoqua, et cetera, or you can invest in an ETF, exchange traded fund. But you can't invest in the actual water like an oil well. And we realized that that's, you know, the water industry uh, needs finance. I mentioned our, uh, earlier that the infrastructure is very under, and so we're running $75 billion a year behind on water infrastructure. Well, that's directly affecting quality of service. And we're seeing that show up all over America. You know, Flint is just the tip of the iceberg. There's water problems all over America. And, This is an opportunity to bring the you know, regular investors as a new cohort of investors. So it's not JP Morgan Capital, it's not venture capital, it's not municipal bonds, although all of those are good. It adds another group, which is investors like you and me. Now, currently we only take in accredited investors, which is you know, basically the top 2% of, of uh, All income earners are accredited. Um, but I'm a strong believer in a democratic process. So, you know, by the end of the year, uh, we will definitely have an unaccredited way for people to invest in water on demand. And that's exciting too. So, um, what we're hoping is that anybody from $500 to $500,000 can invest in water on demand and see a return, uh, a benefit for them. But they're also doing wonderful things to make sure these new decentralized water systems happen. And this decentralized system, um, are you, I think if I 
And just currently from your portfolio, you are not only active in U.S., but outside the U.S. In general, we want to make sure that we do a good job in the U.S. Now, as I told you, water demand is delegating all the building and maintaining of systems. But what we do want to do is we want to spread water on demand financing centers to other places like Dubai, Singapore, et cetera, in partnership with finance um, organizations in those locations to do water on demand for those areas. I think that's a good way to go is to spread the water on demand structure internationally so that, um, again, we're not going to, you know, ourselves become a fund in Dubai, we'll simply do a partnership, right? And um, that is, I think, the way to expand. What I'm focusing on right now is putting in that layer of the DBOO, the actual water as a service activity, get that established, um, create that reality. Uh, we are different. There's other people in water, as you know, doing DBOO. Uh, Seven Seas is a big player that does uh, island economies. Uh, a very good company called Cambrian Innovation, which has a lot of beverage uh, business. Um, but Seven Seas is funded JP Morgan Capital. Uh, Cambrian is funded by um, uh, VC. Um, and they also, uh, you know, they, so they, they don't accept money from you and me. So that's a big differentiator. And also we've chosen not to do very, very super large systems, but rather more the middle class where the bulk of the systems will be, you know, they'll be in the 500,000 to $2 million range uh, capital. Um, I think that's going to be the growth industry. But to make money from that, it's hard to be a big company and make money from small systems. And that's where I think our network of local operators is going to be able to work with this. I see it as a revolution. I, I, I really see it as something that's going to transform the water industry. Um, and at this point, we just have to, you know, keep our nose facing forward and execute. Uh, but it's going well. It's, investors love it. Investors, you know, here's the thing. All these assets, look at oil and gas and look at real estate. And they're all messed up. There's all these political things going on. They've, they're basically exhausted. Even crypto is in trouble. So all that stuff's got to, you know, how do you invest in that? You can't. I don't know how to invest in blockchain. I have no idea. I used to know. Now I don't. <laughs> So water is a new asset. It's at the beginning of its run. Uh, it's relatively stable. We're not going to have suppression of water treatment as we've seen suppression of fossil fuel energy. So um, it, it has a good potential for people to invest in, and people are looking for better ways to invest their money. So we're getting tremendous uh, uh, uptake on this water on demand offering. Um, and you know it, it's really exciting. Awesome. Thank you very much, Wings. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Hakim. It's been a great pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. So as you can tell, Hakim is a water professional. This podcast, uh, Smart Water Solutions, focuses on interviewing people in the water industry. And he contacted me. He said, uh, you know, your, your Origin Clear has a lot of um, visibility in the water industry, and we, we want to get you um, interviewed. So um, as you can tell, it was a little bit more technical, right? Like he mentions OEMs. What's an OEM? Original Equipment Manufacturer. That's actually somebody who builds stuff under their label, right? Like, for example, if uh, Tesla is an OEM, right? And um, if people sell products to go into a Tesla under the Tesla brand, 
they're making o an OEM sale. So that's just that. And I mentioned CapEx, which is capital expenditure, OpEx, which is operating expenditure. Those are pretty obvious. Anyway, that is kind of the, the beginning view of the day. And okay, is Origin Clear offering to help in Jackson, Mississippi? Um, and Ken says, and he's right, large cities are very resistant to changing the model. We are working, as you mentioned, as this podcast mentioned, we are working at the edge. The problem with um, helping places like Flint, like, oh, feel free to give us stuff. That's not a problem. And so everybody's giving stuff to Flint, Michigan. Well, okay, there's a place for that. But we're, we believe that the problem with the Flints and Jacksons of the world, and I'm going to get into that story, Jackson, Mississippi, and Las Vegas, New Mexico, and so forth, is that the infra- central infrastructure is overwhelmed. And so we want to unload it. That's the solution, not rushing in and trying to help Jackson, Mississippi, which has already got a bunch of people helping in the federal government and this and that, and um, delighted to get your donations. So that's kind of the, the territory we've staked out. All right, let's continue here. Okay, so what do I invest in now? Let's take a look at the stock market. Look at US billionaires, poor guys and gals. Actually, there's only guys on this list. Um, So some have lost more than others. Um, But, and, you know, they're going to be fine. I want you to know that they will be paying their bills next month. But that's a huge change, right? And this is because, as we know, Federal Reserve Chair Powell said, we're going to get tough on interest rates. Okay, so uh, let's take a look here. Dow Jones Industrial Average. Here's the one month. Look at that. Bang. NASDAQ Composite, which is uh, uh, the stocks listed on Stock Exchange. Bang. Standard & Poor, which is the 500 large companies listed. Again, look at almost identical patterns on the one month chart, right? So back in uh, about 10 August, things were going okay. And then there's like, oh, I don't think so. And then it just fell off a cliff. Let's take a look at the Russell. The Russell 2000 is small caps. It's not immune. By small caps, and we don't mean a company like ours, which is more like a micro cap. Small caps are more in the you know, $50 million, $100 million range revenue or higher. Then there's blockchain, BLOK, which is uh, also uh, blockchain not doing so great. And gold, this is the weird thing. You know, Gold should be doing great with all this inflation. What's going on? GLD gold, and uh, the, it too is is seeing a lot of a lot of uh, trouble. Let's take a look at ARKK, the Innovation Fund, and they're really good at disruptive um, innovation, like you know Apple, etc. They've made a lot of money for people. It's not doing so great. Now this one here, Elements uh, RJI, is um, the Rogers International Commodity Index, and had a weird, weird day. Look at look at the far right thing. It went plummeted and then came right back. That was weird. It overall does not show as bad a trend because commodities are kind of doing better, but it's not great. Uh, I'm not confident about that. XOP, which is uh, oil and gas exploration. Eh, you know, you'd think, you know, every, uh, all companies are making so much money from oil and gas. So what's going on? Well, there's a reason for that. We'll get into it. All right. So then what about real estate? Okay, so then I this was something I advertised earlier this week. The new home sale collapse, you see that blue line basically just going down, down, down. Uh, and it's not stopped going down, and the inventory keeps rising. According to this uh, commentator, James Ryan, first time in US history that buyer demand has tanked against builder inventory. And he says that 2008 was a walk in the park, and that was not fun. I was 
I was in 2008 and I held on to my, my house, but it took years for me. I finally sold it once it was in the, in the, in the green, um, but it took years for it to come back. Okay. So that says a lot. All right. What about oil and gas? Let's take a look at that. They are actually starved for capital. Here's an article in the Epoch Times about oil and gas producers are facing a shrinking supply of capital. Again, it's weird because there's so much money being charged for fossil fuels, but um, banks are unwilling to provide asset-based lending facilities, ABLFs, to the oil and gas industry. And this has a lot to do with the efforts to get off of fossil fuels, which I think are wonderful. But the problem is that it hurts oil and gas, right? <clears throat> Only a third is made banks today compared to where they would have been six years ago. And various investors and so forth that have invested in energy are not allowed to do it in fossil fuel industries. So, and this is uh, from an article in the Epic Times about Elon Musk, who said the world needs oil and gas or civilization will crumble. I'm not going to get into that story. You can look it up yourself. But the point is, is that oil and gas as an investment would seem to be good, but it's highly politicized. What about Bitcoin and cash? Well, there's a good little clip here that I'm going to play and uh, give you a sense of what that's all about. And uh, it's just a quick um, one minute clip, but I think you'll enjoy it. So I went ahead and um, excerpted this from a podcast. Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Army aviation veteran Mike Hobart, who bitcoins and is communications and marketing manager at Great uh, American Mining. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Mike. Man, thank you for the uh, intro. I, I do, I do, I would say that I identify as a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, but in that, regard i'm not somebody who only puts money in bitcoin. i don't see bitcoin as the only like investable asset i think that's ridiculous but at the same time right now i don't see much that is worth putting my money into other than cash and bitcoin like that's like i'm not going to put it into bonds because the u.s government and a lot of like other governments across the world are proving that they like you just like they're not worthy of that kind of trust because if you're going to put your purchasing power somewhere, you have to trust that they are going to do something good with it to the point of where you're not going to lose your purchasing power, right? Um, and we just like the U.S. These governments think that they're just going to print and print and print and print their like the the currency away and think that everybody's going to trust them for it. Like that's ridiculous. So that's just a quick clip, and this was a lot in this particular podcast. So we're talking a lot about you know, the central bank digital currencies and how Bitcoin might interact with it. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I personally am long-term bullish about Bitcoin. I think it's a wonderful thing. But even he was like, well, yeah, you know, um, he, obviously he's what he, what he calls a Bitcoin maximalist. So what that means is, but he's not the kind of person, a lot of people in Bitcoin only invest in Bitcoin. Well, they've had a hard time in the recent times. So not so great. It's um, again, a problem. With crypto at this time. All right, so let's take a look at water. Water is a commodity. All right, well, this is a story about Jackson, Mississippi that, that was brought up earlier by Will Porter. And uh, what the heck happened? Well, it's what we've been saying for a long time, which is damaged infrastructure. They, 150,000 residents, by the way, Jackson, beautiful, beautiful town. I used to go there for, I had a project there while I was in the, in the uh, tech world. And um, beautiful town. And of course, it, water everywhere. It's very, very rainy and very fertile, but they just simply had a lot of disinvestment in water systems. And uh, it says right here 
that um, the city's water infrastructure has languished for decades because there isn't enough tax revenue or state funds to pay for essential upgrades. This is what I've been saying since 2016, which is it's forced decentralization. The central infrastructure system is so far behind, it's crazy. And Las Vegas, New Mexico, also big problem. They had a big fire and now debris contaminated the water. They're critically low. They're getting bottled water at stores, et cetera, et cetera. And sort of trying to get the federal government to pay for a reservoir. They just need to use less water. Again, um, they just don't have a lot of fallback, right? So this is the problem with central infrastructure, and we don't see it a lot, but it's starting to show up in the headlines, isn't it? All right. So I thought I would play a quick clip from The Economist, which gets into water as an asset, um, as they understand it, which is you'll see in a second. Water is life. But as the world warms up, it's also increasingly becoming a commodity. For example, the Nasdaq Valley's California Water Index Futures was launched in 2020, allowing investors, farmers and municipalities to bet on the forward cost of water in California and hedge against any price rises. Australian farmers are also trading water in a $1.4 billion market in allocations from the sprawling Murray-Darling River Basin. Landholders are free to use or sell their parcels of river water, the value of which rises or falls according to the price of crops and whether any rain is forecast. Critics of these financial models say that clean water is an essential human right and should be paid for by the state. They also believe that speculative trading could distort water prices for everyone, meaning some people may struggle to afford it. Others believe that putting a price on water and encouraging private models of ownership will ensure its conservation. One of the biggest experiments in water privatisation has taken place in the UK. In 1989, the government sold off the entire water system of England and Wales to limited companies. More than 30 years later, that system is being criticised across the political spectrum. Chief executives have been awarded hefty pay packages, shareholders generous dividends, and investment in infrastructure has not kept pace with population growth, leading to sewage flooding and pollution failures. Just 14% of rivers meet the minimum European standards for water quality, for example. The largest market for investors may be in providing new technologies such as desalination or recycling plants. Desalination plants can be costly investments because they use a lot of energy to run. But the global industry wants to power a fifth of new desalination plants using renewable energy between 2020 and 2025. Other innovations include the seawater greenhouse, which uses seawater and solar power to create cooler, more humid conditions for greenhouse-cultivated crops in arid regions. Half of the world's population is expected to be living in water-stressed regions by 2050. The race for water has only just started. I 
And there's another one here. I'm going to continue right along here about water rates. Look at the difference between these two water bills in Illinois. In the town of Fort Heights, water costs $85 a month on average, while an hour away in Winnetka, the average is only $24 a month. What's interesting is that in Winnetka, household income is 10 times what is in Fort Heights. Why is water so expensive for poor Americans? Let's set the record straight. Water prices in the United States have been getting more expensive overall for the past decade. While food prices have gone up about 20%, about the same as inflation, water and sewer bills have increased by over 65%. But the weight of higher water bills isn't shouldered evenly by everyone. And this is no accident. We're going to look at how something as basic as water has become a luxury for poor Americans. But to get there, let's go back in time a bit to see how water infrastructure in the U.S. has been set up. Before the 1800s, people drank from streams and wells. But as American cities grew, it was clear that a system was needed for getting water to these densely populated areas. In New York City, the Manhattan Company built one of the country's first public water systems, sending water to homes through underground pipes made of hollow wood. This wasn't a public service, though. Only the rich were able to afford it. But it made the Manhattan Company so much money that it was able to go into another lucrative business. You might know it today as... J.P. Morgan Chase. One of the biggest banks in the world. But back to water. Water systems continued to pop up nationwide, but in 1908, something big happened. Jersey City became the first American city to start routinely disinfecting drinking water. Thousands of towns and cities followed its example, and very quickly, the spread of waterborne diseases dropped dramatically across the country. Problem is, as life-changing and essential as modern water infrastructure is, it's still sold as a commodity, the way it was when the Manhattan Company was digging pipes in the 1800s. That means today, thousands of families face foreclosure every year because of unpaid utilities like water bills. In fact, low-income Americans can spend up to 12% of their income on water costs. It impacts the way they eat, how often you cook, what you cook, how much water you consume. You know, part of uh, being a healthy person is that you have to consume so much water a day. It changes the way you live your life. And I think that a lot of people should realize that when they take that for granted, they're in a better place than the people that can't. So how different could water bills be? Take a look at the suburb in the Chicago area. This area gets its water from Lake Michigan. But for the water to reach the town of Indian Head Park, it goes through three resellers. That's why people who live there pay more for their water than anyone else in the Chicago area. When we um, monetize it and make it a for-profit business instead of saying what is life, we have those unintended consequences. Speaking of unintended consequences, back in the 1970s, water in many places looked like this. Florida's growing population keeps pressing against the edges of the swamp. Detergents, pesticides, sewage, industrial waste pouring into the water. Exhaust fallout polluting the air. Jet oil spills polluting the water. In response, Congress passed the Clean Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act. 
These laws set national standards for water and sanitation. But there's a caveat. It's up to local governments to meet these standards, and the federal government doesn't regulate the prices to customers. Even though 90% of American water utilities are owned by local governments, private companies are usually subcontracted to manage tasks like water treatment, pipe repairs, or sewage collection. Some local governments have even sold off their water and sewer systems to private corporations for millions of dollars. The result of this is a mishmash of more than 150,000 independently run water systems and almost 15,000 treatment plants, which partially explains why there's just no uniformity when it comes to water prices. Subjecting water utilities to the free market and regulation loopholes also explains some of why poor neighborhoods pay more. But it's not the whole story. Marginalized communities often live in areas farther from water sources, so transporting water to them is more expensive. And those areas are also where local governments have been less likely to invest. So the cost of fixing broken pipes is also added to residents' bills. Because there's no legal cap on water prices in many places, they often go up with costs. And part of this is also poverty. And poverty in this country just self-perpetuates. You know, it's, it, when it manifests, everything around it is not to help people lift themselves up, it's to keep them impoverished. Think about how easy it is for you to just turn a tap and get clean water and how your life would be different if that wasn't the case. For an example, it shows up in Alaska where people are using honey buckets for sanitation. I mean, they never got infrastructure in the first place. And then it shows up in places where people have um, don't have access to clean water, like in Denmark, South Carolina, that has been polluted with in, by industrial pollution and has not been addressed. Or it shows up in, in places where they have lead in the water, or places like Jackson, Mississippi. You know, who are those people? They're indigenous, they're people of color, they're marginalized communities, they're poor communities. The lack of investment in these communities means they suffer from more frequent violations of the Safe Drinking Water Act, and things stay unfixed for longer. One of the main causes of the structural inequalities that are embedded in our system that tend to favor people that already have, um, you know, wealth or people that are in a position to afford to pay for lobbyists to, to get, you know, preference or preferential treatment. And those people that don't have it or tend to be tend to be at the back of the line if they're in the line at all. But even if you're lucky enough to not live in a community that pays more for less, why has water been getting more expensive for everyone? First, a lot of water pipes are old. In fact, the average American water pipe is older than most Americans. And old pipes leak. Every day, roughly 6 billion gallons of treated water is lost through damaged pipes. That's enough to provide 36 days of drinking water for every American. Second, because companies don't sell water as an essential service, they often prioritize short-term profits over repairs, pollution cleanups, or climate adaptations. And that leaves us with more of these old leaking pipes. With the water crisis in Newark, New Jersey, where thousands of residents remain unable to drink their tap water, 
Residents in Willowbrook say the water from the Sativa Water District is severely contaminated. Now to a big story in the North Bay where a pipeline break has the city of Benicia requiring all people and businesses to conserve water immediately. Nearly 2,000 water systems used by 6 million people where excessive levels of lead were detected in the past four years. Third, the federal government is investing less and less in water infrastructure. So those costs are being pushed onto the consumer. So if we know that water utilities are a broken business and facing a crisis that most impacts marginalized communities, then what's the solution? The U.S. water supply system is failing at its job of keeping water affordable and accessible to everyone. Some countries get past this by treating water less like a commodity and more like a human right. For example, Ireland guarantees free water to everyone. And when the government proposed charging for water in 2014, protests broke out. The government was forced to shelve those plans and water will remain free until 2024, after which residents will only be charged for excess use. I think the premise of all of this should be that water is a water and sanitation is a human right. And human rights shouldn't depend on where you live or on profit margins. We have to remove the inequities that exist in our system, the unfair policies, the policies that penalize poor people, the policies that penalize rural people, the policies that penalize people that are not in a certain income bracket. We need to have people at those communities that are impacted to be part of developing whatever plans are there so that we can eliminate those blind spots that we don't have when we're trying to dictate policy in places we've never been before. This is a fascinating, fascinating story. And what does it have to do with us? Well, I'm going to bring in our one and only Ken Berenger for the freewheeling discussion. So here's what's really, really interesting. That last video and also the Financial Times ones really talked about all the problems besetting central water. Yes. And water is a right. I want to be able to get clean water and I want to be able to flush my toilet. The problem is that these 150,000 water systems are overwhelmed. Um, um, supporting agriculture and industry, which is like 85, 87% of all the load. If we take away that load, now they can do their job. So, so there was a couple of things in there that I thought was really wonderful. So that graph, <laughs> the graph that shows oh, core inflation and food prices, and then water, you know, that looks familiar, right? We've been, right. you found that obviously, or either from there, or they, they found the exact same graph. That was number one. But then it also talked about consistently how this place has got lead and this place has insecticides and this place has industrial waste. It's as when I, when I speak to investors, they go, what are you doing about drinking water? I go, look, if you solve the, it's an upstream problem. The downstream remediation is far less, right? There's so much stuff in our drinking water from what's happening going on upstream. So our solution really does, you know, you are going to, you are going to fix, we do have drinking water solutions now, but, we're going to fix drinking water by not causing the by, by preventing the pollution, the pollution discharge at the source of pollution in the first place. Um, it also talked about it's the money. Stu- so it's doing all this. It's the money, stupid. 
right? It talked about that. It talked yes. about how the pipes are old. It's essentially what, you know, it's, it's, it's very invigorating and validating to hear what we've been yelling about for years, that our, our, our water system's ancient. It's leaking like a sieve. They said uh, every American for 36 days, I think it was. Right. Another term I heard was to supply the top 10 water producing, water using cities in the country year round. So take your pick, right? Both of them, an astronomical, astronomical number. Um, the, the things that we've been talking about, it was nice to hear someone completely un unrelated to us relay those messages, you know, a little bit out of sequence, but it just comes down to this. We are on to the most vital commodity on the planet. When people are talking about it as a human right, um, and, and we can have that discussion, but the reality is, is right now, is we need to make it so it doesn't kill people, right? So yeah. instead of charging the homeowner to turn on his tap to have clean water, and that's what they're talking about. How does the homeowner avoid having to get clobbered with water costs? You know, that long pipe, that long system of pipes, why it costs more money out in the, you know, a couple miles out of Chicago? Well, that's because of the resellers. Well, it's the same thing why you can't deliver clean water. You can't have a water treatment plant at a farm in the middle of nowhere. It's just one user. They couldn't pay for it. The reality is, is that the way to avoid the homeowner from being penalized to get clean water is charge the water, the industrial water users at the source of, the, like you said, the guys who make the, who use the water, clean the water. Really what you're saying is the guys who pollute the water. Correct. Clean the water. So, this is an operational expense that's already cutting their cost for water use in half anyway, right? So we we're making it work better for them. It's a better package because they, they get to manage inflation and all that good stuff. Of course. It also ensures quality of service for them. And, and on top of it, it frees the central water systems to do their moral job. Now they can do their job. And this is a same point. And you can actually have more that you can you can build in areas where you couldn't previously build. The other the other thing that I thought was um, kind of an expansion on what you know we, we talked about. It's the money, stupid. These people are deploying capital to run their business anyway. Yeah, you know, you were talking about um, Envirogen. There's there's that one customer we're going to probably do that deal with. Well, as it clears up, but they're spending a million dollars a year carting away human waste. Yeah. So think about it like this for the investors who understand, well, how does this help? How does this work? They're spending a million dollars just to not get shut down. Right. Okay. If you put a million dollar system, which by the way, the size of their operation would require something, a fraction of the size of that. But let's just say it's a million dollar system. Okay. You could put a million dollar system that's funded by you and me as investors, right? Charge them a half a million dollars a year half a million dollars a year. And they'd be like, thank you. Thank you. Right. Because now you just instantly saved me a half a million. And again, there's also several turns on the water. So, so it's, there's not working, it's better use of the water and they have less, they outsource it. Problem goes water, away. It's major water conservation, but the end user, he just knows he's saving a bunch of money. So what we're going to be able to do is tap into, look, we're going to tap into the environmental agnostics. You know, you know, yeah, if it cleans the environment, that's okay. This thing, this thing makes money hand over fist. So they're like, okay, I'm down with that, right? Well, and um, even if you are an environmental missionary, you're on, you're excited about it. Remember, of course. 
2019, I went to Aspen to, you know, Aspen Renewable Energy Conference, ARE Day, about this whole issue. But what we found was it, we can't help the central cities. That's really for the government and for the cities. Not we yet. No, no, no. It's, it, our mission is at the edge. Mm-hmm. Our mission is at the edge. Yeah. You know, we're not the government. We're not going to go run, go to Washington and do a lobby thing. What we can do is help is, is connect investors to water projects. All right. So Coletta Sharp is very happy with what we're saying. Uh, Bill Lucas, very informative presentation this evening. Keith Rutten, you all have the most forward ideas I've ever encountered. Thank you, Keith. All right. Brad Houston says, do you have pro forma projected financials for each of your water on demands showing the ROI on an investment if the projections are met? I.e., what's the reason I should invest? Let me tell you. Well, I do have the most dense forecast and pro formas. Once you start listening to Manuel walk through it. I know. I know. It's incredibly detailed. Now, it's all um, on our uh, investor section of the website. We've gone ahead and posted a video of my presentation of our strategic presentation, which shows the forecasts. Mm-hmm. And you can tap that. And of course, Ken will be happy to show that to you as well. So all those forecasts, which are summarized, have this wealth of data underneath it. We've what? done the work. We know this thing can work. And it's been validated working with the Envirogens of the world. We're actually validating all these, this pricing and so forth. So I wanted so, to summarize here. So what, what we have here is a real dilemma for investors. I don't know what to invest in. I'm looking at my wife's 401k. I'm like, what the heck? What did I say to you yesterday? Where the hell do I put my money? No idea. Right? But there's this asset called water, which has not been damaged. It's, it's being divested. Remember the, how AT&T became all the baby bells? Because it was diverse divestiture of AT&T. Now we have the divestiture of government monopolies in water. Right. And now this is the new income-bearing asset. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you right. mentioned that. The breaking up of the, of the, of, of the mob bell monopoly created billionaires across from sea to sea. The, the, the divestiture of water is many, many, many times larger. It's far larger, right? at okay. was just one company. Right. Sure, it was a phone, American phone system. Right. But the fact is, is that a very similar revolution is happening right now and we're monetizing it. So be, yes. this is your solution to where to invest. Contact Ken. We have, uh, I'm going to quickly give the contact information for those of you who by some mystery don't have the contact information. Here we go. OC.gold slash Ken in your browser and you can schedule. Email to invest at originclear.com or call 877-440-4603 extension 201. With that, I want to thank everyone. Ken, I want to thank you. Um, I think we are going to be helping American investors at a time when they are being screwed. It's a horrible time. And fortunately, there's a new kid on the block, which is this fresh, fresh-faced player called Water, which has not been mauled by the 2008 recession or right. the 2022 non-recession. Right, and the and, and it didn't get an announcement that BlackRock, who's buying up a quarter of all the homes in the country, just stopped. That's that's a big piece of information. Super spooky, right? It's crazy. So all the old rules are broken. So we have to we have to make new rules. Well, new asset class. That's the way right. to do it. Fresh take. Everyone, thank you very much. It's been super great. Coletta says thanks. And uh, we really want to thank all of you. Uh, Do talk to Ken about what we're doing. It's super exciting. We love having you. 
We will have more on this next week. And let me tell you something. There's some amazing stuff happening. You hear about pipes and water loss. We have a booming business in water conveyance. And we're going to talk about it next week. Thank you all. Have a great weekend and see you again soon.